0: All right, friends, welcome back to the show today. I am honored to be joined from the Bay Area by Sonia Curry. How are you, ma'am? I am absolutely wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, yes, ma'am. It is absolutely my pleasure. And uh, originally, you're from the, from Virginia, right? Yes. Radford, Virginia. And so, and so you're kind of all over. You're, you're at your uh, daughter's house right now. And here's the important question. So your son obviously plays for Golden State. You have another son who plays for Brooklyn, and you're wearing a Golden State shirt right now. Is that because he's your favorite son right now or because he's the only one still playing?
1: Luke, you're trying to get me in trouble. <laughs> so it's because he's still playing and I'm out here for this game. So um, game day ready with my Warriors uh, sweatshirt on.
0: W- what is the debate like when your sons are playing against each other and you have to figure out what's, like, what shirt to wear? Like, h- how do you process that? Is it like you switch back different games, different shirts for the favorite kid? Or like w- how do we do this?
1: Actually, no, I just, uh, whatever, whoever's playing that day, I just put on what what I have for them. And then, um, and the good thing is one's on the East Coast now and one's on the West Coast. So it mm-hmm. gives me time. One will play at 7.30, one will play at 10.30 most times. So it gives me time to switch up uh, in between games.
0: Okay, well... So I have three daughters, and two of my daughters uh, do all-star cheer, and they're on the same team, and they're both flyers. And so the debate for me is is like, which one do I look at when they're flying? And I feel like I'm like, being unfair as a parent if I look at one more than the other. Right. And so I was hoping maybe you could coach me up on how to like, be a fair parent and not give more attention to one over the other.
1: Oh, wow. So does your wife go with you?
0: Yes, ma'am. We, you right? Most of the time.
1: Okay. Yeah. Y'all sit back to back. <laughs>
0: Okay. Back yeah, to one back.
1: watch one way, one watch the other, and then at some point switch so that they both get equal time. Because there is really no way to actually be fair all the time. I mean, it's just yeah. not going to happen. You know, so
0: that's outstanding. That's the best
1: advice I can give you. Right.
0: You just can't be fair all the time. Like I, I'm. You can't, that makes sense. You know? That makes sense. <laughs> um, so you, uh, you have a new book that is uh, it's coming out. Uh, Fierce love. Yeah. And uh, I guess it'll probably be out by the time this one uh, airs. And it's a book that you tell your story. You talk talk from childhood to raising your kids and then to, you know, there's a lot in there. And I guess one of the questions I, I always ask when someone writes a book this personal is as it's about to be released, do you have any vulnerability hangover? Because you talk about a lot of like personal stuff in there as the like release time is appearing. Do you have any sense of, oh, Did I need to put all that in there? Do I need to be that honest? Do I need to be that, like, transparent?
1: You know what? This is a godsend question because you're giving me the opportunity to really work through. And I'm not trying not to get emotional with this question because I have had many sleepless nights in preparation for this book to come out. And I've made a couple personal phone calls to people because, yes, I have had anxiety like, I can't even explain. And it is. It's like you need, you want to tell your story, but that story also includes other people. So you want sure. to be respectful of the other people. Even though I don't use real names in some of the situations, it's still the fact that they were a part of this story and perhaps can't talk about it, you know, themselves or, or um, be a part of it now. And I don't want for the success of the book to seem like that it is on the backs of, you know, some other people because they were involved in the, uh, in some of these situations. So, um, I'm thankful for this question because I, I need to talk this out. Maybe I'll sleep better tonight after answering it, but yes, I'm, I'm scared. I'm fearful. Um, I was had another interview this morning. And they were like, "How do you feel right now?" And I said, "I would really like to be able to say, oh, I'm so excited and this is just incredible." I am not all that excited right now. I am just really? being truly honestly, I am scared to death. One, I'm scared because of that that you know, people look to inject themselves in interject themselves into a story. So, I just am prayerful that God will cover that um, because mm-hmm. the spirit of the book is not to harm anyone or whatever. And then also to just protect myself. And I know I've been in the league 30 years and my family's used to being in the spotlight. But when you tell some of the things that I've shared in the book, you know, people are going to come back. People are going to have things to say about it. And I've got to develop thick skin and thicker skin than I ever imagined. I thought I was a pretty tough cookie, but the mm-hmm. closer this book gets to being released, I'm realizing just really how vulnerable
0: I am, really. Really. Well, Like you said, I mean, three decades with your family in the NBA, and you, I would assume like after 30 years of that, like, it, like people who are uh, sports fans have talked about your family. Like I, I grew up... Um, like knowing the name Curry. And I would assume by like 30 years later, like you would have just gotten used to it, that this would be old hat, but why does this feel different now?
1: I think because of the stories and the vulnerability, you know, that I have in sharing some of the backstory of, of myself more so. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and when you speak, I know scripture, you know, just talks about you know being an, an example, and you know older women set an example for younger women, and um, you know there's a thin line with sharing your story and trying not to encourage, or or just not let media take over your narrative and encourage people to maybe make certain decisions that they wouldn't normally have made if if I hadn't sh- shared my story, good or bad, you know, and so. That worries me a a little bit. um, It's just controlling the narrative after even my story is out there because everybody saw us as the first uh, family of the NBA and all of of that. And so some of this could be seen in the eyes of some people as a fall from grace or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's been a vulnerable time for us as a family, too, that this book is coming out because I started this book three years ago. And then, you know, now uh, it's just coming out now, you know, it's, it's, it's really raw. Like I, I really just feel like I'm just raw and just out there for, for the taking, but
0: yeah. God yeah. be
1: the glory. He's got it.
0: Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Well, the reason I asked that question is because I, I felt like you were being very raw and vulnerable and, uh, I mean, there's some stories that you're honest about, like being a parent and like telling your, your son that he can't go on a date with, uh, a girl who you changed her name, uh, who's a year <laughs> older. And, uh, uh, like, yeah, like that's just kind of a funny, like parenting story. Like, yeah, you did the right thing and, and all that. Um, but then there are other stories about like you when you are in high school and, there's this uh, this guy who i assume mark is not his his real name uh or maybe it is and you can do whatever you want you're a grown person but uh <laughs> he he was much older than you and as the father of three daughters like i i don't want that to be what my daughter experiences in the same way that you as the mother of a daughter like don't want your daughter to experience that like as you put that story out there um like that's like those are probably some of the phone calls you're having to make to explain your your story to family members who maybe didn't know some of this stuff is Is that probably what's happening?
1: Well, I think the the phone call more so um, a couple of phone calls, one was to my mom, so that when I was beginning to share this story, you know what I didn't want it to look bad or reflect bad on is her and her parenting um, because she you know voiced her opinion about it. And she tried to do some things on the side to discourage God. him. Um, but at the end of the day, she said, you're going to make the choices you're going to make. So she said, like God does, free will. You're going to make a choice. You're going to have the consequence for it. And yeah. so then with me transferring it into, you know, my daughter and story I tell about her, um, I chose to do something different, like to just really go even further harder into the situation and interject myself into it. So, you know, with, with comparing and showing how I chose to um, handle a situation versus my mom does not, I don't want it to be where it's like my mom was wrong or my mom was a bad mom because she was very engaged. So again, it's those kinds of conversations um, and conversations like, you know, spiritually and religion and how I grew up with two different families in two different places in Virginia and one being very traditional, um, very patriarchal kind of family. And my side of the family is very matriarchal and, and how I got something from both of those situations. So, you know, making that phone call to, um, you know, like my dad's side of the family and and saying, Hey, I don't want this to look bad on you guys, but it, It's, it was what the reality was in my, my my, eyes, my mind, and how it influenced me in raising yeah. my children.
0: Of course, of course. Now, one of the things I assume as you were raising your three kids is you never encouraged them to use a baseball bat to solve a conflict uh, as you did when you were a kid. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like you could get arrested for that story. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, did did you talk to a lawyer about that? I mean, I feel like you hit a kid with the base. It was a boy. You hit him with the bat after he was bothering you. Like there's some context, but still there's a baseball bat. like that's,
1: I mean, that's that's back in the seventies and things just were different then, you know, you're, (laughs) you're in, you're in your neighborhood, you're in the trailer park. And you know, I I mean, not to sugarcoat it. We fought. I mean, now I wouldn't people going around hitting others with bats, but you know, you just lose it. Uh, at a certain point it was kind of like fear of facing granny candy my mom or yeah. handling the situation and i thank god he's okay cuz that could have really <laughs> been awful but i yeah. Yeah, you know so i don't encourage people to <laughs> to do yeah. that at all period but-
0: Yeah, let's not hit each other with bats. I I feel like we're we're both on the (laughs) same page about that. But you probably took some of that. What was the line that you were told? Like, you know, we don't start things, but we finish them. Or there's some level of like, hey, we take ownership for our life. Obviously, you're not telling your kids to hit someone with a bat. But how did you pass on, like, the principle behind that to your kids in a positive way?
1: Well, I think in several situations in the book, I, I explain how, you know, I've encouraged them first and foremost to go to the source, and try to talk it out, share their feelings to share, you know, how things or interactions are impacting them and give that other person a chance to be a part of solving it. If they ignore you, then you go to some authority figure and you try to get them to help you. And this comes out of the Montessori experience and me running a school. Um, but in reality, homegrown, being raised the way that I was, there's some situations where people just won't stop. And unfortunately, yes, my children were not raised to be cowards, but they were definitely raised to, if they get in a predicament, give it all you got. And, you know, I know that's going to be controversial for some people, but if you ask them how many fights they've actually been in, zero. So, again, I was in a lot, but I think that was just (laughs) part of me. I I mean, I think I fought once a week. Mm -hmm. Um, Just... Hmm. Fights. If I thought somebody was being bullied, I'd fight the bully. I fought boys mm-hmm. all the time, so I think that was just something that was that's in me, and I'm kind of like that now. I won't physically do it, but I will mouth off with you. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Well, but I'm glad we in the, the same Lord's room because yeah, I'm kind of terrified Lord's of you at this point.
1: <laughs> no, the Lord's working on that. He's redeeming all uh, that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank, <laughs> thank goodness for that. Now, my mom's from uh, Virginia, and oh, when okay. I was a kid, maybe there's something in the water because when I was a kid, there was this uh, this kid who just like kept like nagging at, at me. And my mom was like, well, if he doesn't stop, just punch him in the face. And I was like, uh, okay, okay. I guess we're going for it. Um, <laughs> but maybe there's something like that Virginia thing that you guys had in the water that got passed down. Well, go so on, you mom. G- <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So you, uh, I- obviously talk about that. Um, Uh, your childhood and obviously there's like this big shift in your life from like you just described like growing up where financially there are not a lot of resources available to you and then now you look at your six grandkids is it six right
1: yes six yes Mm
0: -hmm. the the life that they're growing up in has um a, a great deal of financial security is it tough for you as now as a grandparent to see you're obviously your kids grew up with uh, far more resources than you ever did. Is there like a tough backlash to go from where you started um, to to where your family is now?
1: Um, as in what? Maybe as in you, like what do you mean by like that?
0: instilling traits or values or character? Or I mean, there just seems like it's they're different struggles. Like money doesn't fix things, but it creates different problems. And when the problem is like struggling to have enough compared to like having almost an excess. Um, Mm -hmm. it it seems like there's just different attitudes that you'd have to go from. And it seems like they would be just so different that there might be unique things that come up from your experience.
1: Actually, no, because the whole time, like with raising my children, even the lifestyle that we had versus what I had as a child, you know, we would talk about that. We would talk to our kids and tell them that they're Our money was our money and not their money. And so, Mm -hmm. again, just the the privileges that came with uh, us earning money um, did not automatically translate down to them. And so they didn't always have the the newest stuff all the time when people when it came out and all those things, because we wanted to also I did wanted them to feel what it was like to not get what you want all the time immediately. Uh, mm-hmm. So that kind of translated and stuck with them now as adults. So they have money, but you don't see them um, just spoiling their kids. And you hear them now, or I hear them now, you know, saying the same things to their, you know, to my grandbabies. So mm-hmm. I think there's a healthy balance of that, um, and. More experiences just together as a family versus materialistically, you know, trying to fill voids with that is what I see them doing really well now. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I don't feel, I don't see much of a disparity uh, between oh. me growing up and, and the lack of to their, my grandbabies and just having everything. They could have whatever they wanted, really.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think there's something going right in the Curry, Curry family, if, if that's what you're seeing. That's, that's great. Now, one of the things that uh, the, well, all your kids experienced growing up is obviously there's cert- certain rules that they had. And one of the rules in the house was you had to wash the dishes. Yes. And <laughs> if they don't wash the dishes, there are some consequences that will appear. And so there's a story you tell in a book about um, your oldest son not doing the dishes. And the consequence of that is that he didn't go to practice. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't go to practice, the coaches had a rule where if you miss practice, then you don't get a start. Now it, it's kind of hard to imagine, but your your son Steph was a pretty good basketball player when he was in high school, and so that had a negative impact on the team. When you know a future NBA Hall of Famer is no longer playing anymore, obviously you don't know your kid's success that he's going to have as an adult back then. But in that moment when you're telling your kid, "Hey, rules are rule. Um, you're going to have to miss part of a game because you don't do dishes." Do you see that in the moment of? man, I wish I didn't have this rule, or I I see the value of teaching a hard lesson to him right now, even if it's something small like not doing the dishes.
1: Oh, I see a tremendous amount of value in that. And especially now looking in some of the situations that are going on on some of these sports teams, you know, to me, it was first priority. Like your family is a priority over a basketball team. And, you know, no, if he didn't wash the dishes, the house wasn't going to fall apart. But the intention was for him to understand that you're going to put the family first. You can put God first, family first, and then school and everything after that. And so when that occurred, I also then explained to him, you have an obligation to your team. So you need to do what you need to do so that you are available for your team. So by you not first putting your family first, taking care of your responsibility, then you put your team and, and a win in jeopardy because you mm-hmm. didn't take it. It's nobody else's fault. If you're not prepared, it's on you with your team. And you see a lot of that now in the sports world where, you know, athletes don't get that. They don't get that they're affecting a whole team. They could be affecting a whole season. And just because it's, I'm just making my choice for myself. There's no priority for in consideration for others. Um, as a team. So I wanted him to feel I wanted him to feel that but I also wanted them to understand and feel how it feels feels to stand out and stand alone. And so gave them that training of okay, so people are probably laughing at you, people are probably not understanding and going and talking about, you know, wow your mom is, you know, really tough and da 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 da. So they had to grow thick skin with that. When you stand on your own and as an individual, people aren't going to like it. And how does it feel? Oh, you got through it. Now, as they got older, you know, I I would hope to think that they can draw on that to say they were prepared for it. They were prepared to stand alone.
0: Yeah. So there's a tension of like they're prepared to stand alone and people aren't going to always understand the decisions that their their mom makes form but also that they make but the mm-hmm. other side is like that they are a part of a team and their decisions have consequences on other people and so exactly. like there's two different it sounds like principles that are being instilled it, you said that it doesn't appear that like there's a lot of the understanding of like one person's decisions affect an entire team or group of people would you if, if you had to guess like what do you think is causing our inability to see our connection to other people and how our decisions affect others around us what do you think is, is behind that?
1: Well, I think a part of it is just human nature. It's all about us, 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 and I, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I. And then yeah. I think the world and the culture is all about I, 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 make me happy, give me what I want. Everything's at you know, my uh, beck and call, and, and and it's me. Feel me. And we don't take enough time to understand that we are nothing without others. And, yeah. um, and so I think it's a combination of just human nature and sin. And I think the other component of it is the world that we live in, that that's what is, uh, promoted and, yeah. uh, celebrated is me, 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 me. I, 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 so.
0: No, yeah. no, yeah, no, I think you're definitely right. Uh, you have uh, a line in the book about the importance of nurturing your kids. And you say this, uh, we have to respect those stages, stages of development they go through. And you say this, I feel strongly that we have to nurture our, our children and not control them. And n- nurture and control can can look like the same thing at, at some moments. <laughs> and especially when you know, you're the, the tough mom or the strict mom, as you self-describe in the book, what do you think, where do you think that line is between nurturing and controlling?
1: That is the $100 million question. <laughs> Because I don't really know. I think in, in every situation, you have to just dis- weigh that. Because if you ask me now, I would think that I was more controlling than I probably was nurturing. Like, when I did the book and was looking back, and I there was one point where I just cried when I was uh, working with my uh, writer. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. Like, was, was I that mean? Like, I sounded mean to myself. And... You know, it was like, but I wanted to provide structure. We feel safe in structure. We we yeah. feel safe with that. And so I wanted my kids to feel safe. I wanted them to experience consistency and, um, you know, take me at my word when I said something. I, they knew that I meant it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: so I was very deliberate, almost to sometimes a fault that it was just like I'm so focused on parenting am I really nurturing them? So, yeah. you know, I have that conversation now with them. Some what, and even with my daughter, you know, saying, I'm not your friend, I'm your mom. And then her saying, now she feels like she's done a couple of interviews and she's like, I feel like me and my mom are friends now. And, yeah. um, and so that makes me feel good. Cause that was my goal. But it's like, I look at other people who, you know, their kids are high school and the moms and tell their moms, their moms, everything. And then I'm like, my kids didn't do that, so yeah. so you know. Again, I don't know the formula for it. Um, I just know that um, when you're in it, you know it because you know yeah. what you're, you know where your motivation's coming from. You know, yeah,
0: for sure, for sure. Yeah, I, I always think that my daughters they're going to have a lot of friends, but they're only going to have one dad. And I don't need to be a friend. I need to be the one thing that only I can be for them, which is a dad. And so, well
1: said. Yeah. yeah like there's
0: there's this balance you just mentioned that there's a part of the book where you kind of like was i really that mean uh i'm curious you don't have to answer the question if you want to but what part of the book was that that you felt that way
1: wow probably all the stories that i put in here i think one of them really was like my daughter and her at five throwing the temper tantrum and me taking everything out of her room and letting her pick a pair of pants a shirt and a toy. And telling her, you know, I'm only required by God to provide your needs for you. All this other mm-hmm. stuff. When you talk about money and all the, you know, that's bullying and extra stuff. Yeah. It's like, no. And so when you decide that you appreciate the things that you've been blessed with, we can start giving them back to you. Uh, Hmm. And she's five. So how many parents are going to go in and clean out a whole room of stuff and put them in trash bags and be like, here's one shirt, here's one pair of pants. Um, And it doesn't sound very nurturing (laughs) to do that. But, um, you know, there were points now that you asked me, there were points where I would always come back and, and say, I love you. Like, I love you, but I love you enough not to let this continue. And so I'd always try to let them know they were loved, but I got a job to do. I got a responsibility. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, my uh, mother from Virginia would always (laughs) say, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. at i like, I don't see you in in any discomfort at all. You seem happy. Uh, Not that I'm joking. But uh, (laughs) yeah, I mean, part of being a parent is like that you carry that weight of having to do what doesn't seem helpful uh, in the moment to, to, to your child. But in, in your mind, you, you have a plan and you have a kind of a direction for who you want them to become. And it's not easy. I can imagine writing a book like this, um, autobiographical, like causes the, the enemy to have the ability to get in your ear and like to induce shame and to say something, something's wrong with you. And I hear you kind of mentioning some of that. Um, I, I feel like as all of us parents, like you, we know that like the good I want to do isn't the good that I end up always doing. And Mm -hmm. like, I don't always, uh, function in the capacity that I would like to as a parent. Do you find like, as you're writing the book, like you need to remind yourself, okay, there's, there's evil. That's going to make me see this in a darker way than maybe it is. And maybe your kids have been that way for you. Obviously your daughter saying that she, she sees you as a friend now and that's, that's life giving to you. But has it been hard to like fight off shame as you're telling some of these stories?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially, you know, like I said, I watched some of my friends and coworkers and just how they parent and wishing I had a little bit more of that or I would have, you know, yeah. done this a little bit like they did. And just really, I really r- realized how much of a pleaser I am and how much yeah. I really have over these 30 years care what people say. And, um, you know, my spiritual journey with God has just really matured me in ways that I can't even explain, but in one of the ways was to let me know that he is truly the ultimate authority in my life. And if I focus on really pleasing him, Mm -hmm. I'm going to do well by 90% of the people that I come in or I, I come in contact with, and that's a pretty daggone good percentage, yeah. uh, free throw percentage. We'll say our family is shooting percentage. So if I yeah. could just stay focused on that, it's not about pleasing man. It's about pleasing God. And, mm-hmm. um, and that takes a lot of work just to make sure I'm doing that staying and growing in the spirit every day, every day, trying to do that. Um, and giving myself grace, um, uh, because mm-hmm. I know that's the kind of god and father that you know i serve he is a god of grace so
0: amen amen uh one of the the things you tell in the book which uh like you didn't have to put it in there Uh, i think it makes the story more real and honest but you you talk about the um unexpected pregnancy which was your oldest son and you talk about a trip to a planned parenthood uh place that was some distance away from where you were living um what made you feel like y- you needed to put that part of the, your story into this book?
1: Well, I think for me, well, it, it almost could not go in the book. Like the spirit was just guiding this book of what was going to go into it, how it was going to come together. But when it got to really the nuts and bolts of making certain decisions like I was faced with, there could be no Stefan. If I would have gone through that, there would have been no Fordell Stephen Curry, the second. And, you know, God had a plan for that child. And um, just the spirit interceding at that moment in a way that I didn't even know at the moment was happening, um, just spoke to, again, the purpose of, you know, faith and and. And how am I best describe it? It's just, you know, faith that, okay, I don't want to make this decision. Because that would have been the second time. And mm-hmm. I don't want to make that decision again. And now I just got to trust God to move forward with me having this child. You know, I don't know what's going to happen between Dell and I at that point. Um, and I just got to make this one decision. I got to just make this one right decision. Mm-hmm. And then just go, just walk. And so, um, it was very um, important one to just talk about the existence of to lead into Stefan, right? Yeah.
0: yeah. Um,
1: and then for you know other women uh, who are who are dealing with this, you know, um, it is really a, a personal thing. Like, and no one can really make that decision for you, you have to make it for yourself, but then know that there is a purpose for that child. There is a purpose. Um, and then you got to reconcile, you know, um, I'm getting an emotional. thinking about it. When I think about that, it's like, I think about my first situation and, you know, it's always something that will stay with you. And you just wonder where Mm. he or she is what he or she is doing i know they're in heaven you know i believe he or she's in heaven and i believe that you know it just wasn't the time um but think about it all the time i think Mm. about it so
0: when you imagine your readers coming across that story and they're obviously people who have found themselves in the same situation as you do right now as you think back and um like imagine that first <clears throat> pregnancy um what do you hope your story can 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 mean to them like what would you hope that they would hear about you being willing to talk about that
1: I think I would hope that they would understand that they're not in this alone that there's other people who have experienced it, who just just having conversation, just call them up again. There's no judgment. Um, I think we just live. And you talked about shame and and judgment. Um, there's consequences for our decisions, but then we shouldn't live in we shouldn't live in in shame and um, judgment forever. Like, we, we, we can't do that. And the only person that can actually give us that peace of mind is God. Uh, and he's waiting. He's there to do it. So um, they're not alone. And you look at and you see me in the stands. You look at our family and all that. and Nobody would ever think, oh, you, you oh, you? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um and that's what I just want everybody to the whole world for us to just stop stop thinking athletes are just all this or celebrities, or you know we're just people mm-hmm. that you only get to see a certain part of our story um and there's only few of us that wanna or get the opportunity to share some of these other moments so just be encouraged, just be encouraged um if you're in this if you're facing this situation, be encouraged.
0: I had, um, a friend who was on the podcast and she wrote a book, um, where she talked about how she had a, a pregnancy that she terminated, um, uh, she, track athlete named Sonia Richard Ross, who won four Olympic gold medals. I don't know if you, you both had the name Sonia, so maybe yeah. you're related <laughs> or you know each other, but she was, she lives in Austin. She was nice enough to come to our church after the podcast. And, uh, she, she told her story. And, you know, one of the things I found was, you know, deeply impactful was to hear to see people hear her, tell her story and to be honest about something. Uh, and these are her words that like, that was the, you know, the, the biggest loss of her life. I think that's the terminology she used. And the way that her sharing that was really life giving for so many people because um, you know, she's not the only one who's been down that road. And there are probably are a lot of us who have shame from whatever decision we made and to hear like the grace of God is sufficient for us, even in those stories that, you know, we're least proud of. And so, um, I would say to you what I you know said to her, like I really respect you being willing to talk about something like that when like you didn't have to, like you didn't have to put in the book, no one, you know, had a gun to your head saying, talk about this. So, um, right. I feel like the, the best gift that we have to give to each other is our humanity. And mm-hmm. you, know, you could just talk about, Oh, I've got, you know, three kids are all awesome and they're mm-hmm. wonderful and life's great. But, um, that doesn't really connect to any of us, but <laughs> this like humanity does. And so I, I, I admire that. I appreciate you doing that.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you for those words.
0: Yeah. Uh, you, you tell a story, uh, uh, in the book about, um, you move. You moved a few times. So you go to Utah um, when first pregnancy, and then uh, husband gets uh, traded to Cleveland. Is that mm-hmm. right? And then you're in Charlotte, and it, you kind of had been moving around. hadn't found uh, like a church home. You hadn't been connected to any religious community like you grew up with, um, and you found yourself wanting to go back. And here's the the words you use to describe that. You say first and foremost to believe that when you have children, you should take them to church. Uh, as a preacher, I'll say amen to that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> teach them about God. It's what you do. How I was brought up, but with my kids, I actually feel something deeper. I feel as if I am being drawn back to my roots. That can you describe like that feeling of being drawn back, like drawn back to your roots? What was that like?
1: Well, growing up, um, you know, I said we. I come one side of my family is very matriarchal, and my grandmother made sure we were in church every Sunday, no matter what you did Monday through Saturday, Sunday, you were going to church. Mm -hmm. And there was that foundation like that. That was some of the structure around me that made me feel safe. Um, And, you know, there was a point where I was um, taking confirmation classes and was going to get baptized in a local river and woke up and I was like, I'm not doing this. I'm not ready. And then I was like, well, Okay, now I got to go tell my grandmother, and she's going to want to know why. And then I, mm-hmm. you know, I told her I said I'm not ready, and I felt like I had to give up the world to be baptized at twelve. Like yeah. I'm thinking this in my mind, like that's how deliberate I am as a person. It's like okay, yeah, yeah. I could have just gone down, got baptized like everybody else, and but then I was like, mm, no, because if I do that, then this means this, and I have to stick with it, and so. Um, You know, then having my children and moving to Charlotte, it just, I just remembered the safety because I just moved to Charlotte and finding a church kind of grounded me. It made me feel part of the community. I was safe there. And and I didn't really know anybody. I would go in, take the kids to the nursery, and then I would sit in the back of the church. So it wasn't like I was intermingling with anybody. And it was just the familiarity of the word. It was mm-hmm. having that church home around me, even though I didn't really participate in it. I just knew they were there. And uh, I knew my children were hearing the word. And... Because I knew from my childhood that it was in me. I wasn't necessarily living it, but it was in me. I wanted them to have that same experience. So being drawn back back home was just, you know, a community around me that I knew was there for me. Hearing the word of God and then knowing the love that my children would be receiving from the word. And the spirit, because Central Church of God, uh, Pastor Livingston brings it every Sunday. So you're hearing some truth. He don't care mm-hmm. whether you like it or you don't like it. Um, and I could respect that. Like, I could respect somebody putting themselves out there for us uh, as well. So I just, again, it was just like I wanted my children to have the same experience I had of
0: church. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you said uh, in the book that when you're about to get baptized, you were hesitant about it, as you just mentioned. (laughs) And the line in in the book you said is, uh, I believe that Christianity would take the joy, the fun out of my life. I didn't want that. I wouldn't accept that. I couldn't. Uh, Now, obviously, down the road, you did. Now, (laughs) let's imagine one of your uh, grandkids, one of your six grandkids, Uh, let's say they're uh, around that same age, 12, 13, and they're hesitant, like, I I, I can't get baptized because this is going to take away the fun out of my life. What do you tell them?
1: I would actually tell them now, look at us, look at me, look at your dad, look at your mom. Are we joyful people? Are we having a great life? And if they could say no, then I'd be like, all right. That's between you and God. God will take care of you. I'm gonna pr- <laughs> pray for you, and you know what, Lord, this is out of our hands. Uh, and I would literally do that because that's how I talk to my grandbabies. I just pray with them. I give them scripture. I try to find scripture if they're dealing with things. Um, but I would hope that I would hope that our lives have spoken to them in a way that they are enticed to want to know more and to have this experience that we've had because there's been challenges in our family. And so I also hope that they've been able to see how we've gotten through those things. And yeah. we always give God credit for it. So I just hope that those seeds are being, or I trusted those seeds are being planted um, for them. But, you know, to just straight out answer your question, if they said it to me, I would, I'd be like, Hey babe, understand it. And I'll just continue to pray that God will open your heart. And um, all right, where do you want to go? You want to go play somewhere? You want to go do something? I just told Yeah. yeah, you yeah. You just it. yeah. No,
0: no, I hear that. I, I think I'm saying this in a sermon in a couple of weeks. But when it comes to uh, instilling faith in our kids, it, like, like I'm doing as a dad with you know three daughters, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting faith to be something, like I obviously teach them, but I think faith is more something that is caught than it's taught. Yes. And for you to say, hey, l- look look at the lives. Like, look at mom and dad. Look at me. Look look how we live. Like, does this communicate something that is appealing to you? And like, there's this line in the book of Hebrews where it says, like, look at your leaders, consider the outcome of their faith. And mm. so like, you're, you're doing that. Like, hey, hey, kids, look at the outcome of the faith. Look how it's impacting our lives. Is this something you want to be a part of? Because we can say, so we're blowing the faith. Hey, kids, this is what you should do. But they're right. watching. Like, kids are little recorders that are like never off like they're always seeing what you do and so i think that's a like that's a beautiful answer to say just just look at us Mm -hmm. well thank you that's also kind of like intimidating puts a lot of pressure on you because (laughs) uh like i'm i'm far from perfect and unfortunately my kids don't have an off button on what they're recording (laughs) and but especially with your family like um like we all have struggles we all go through stuff but it's not all um like on social media and people aren't talking about what's going on and, you know, Steph did this or whatever. Like that's different D- early on. Like you have to have these conversations about, Hey, um, our family is going to have our stuff exposed in ways that other families don't go through. Um, like, how do you help kids process that? Like, that's terrifying to me. Like I'm, I'm just scared of my kids Googling my name and finding someone writing a terrible review about something I've written or said or something. Um, I, I can't imagine what it's like for your family. How do you like prepare your your grandkids for that?
1: Well, you have the conversations. You don't hide them from, that's one of the things raising my children that um, we talked about in general, where there were some things depending on their development that we wouldn't share with them. But if something was going on, we sat down and talked about them. I mean, there was a, a situation where, which isn't in the book, but I dealt with at my school and they watched me just literally go through hell And they couldn't understand it. Mom, like, why are you making this decision? And I just would would show them I was fasting every Wednesday. I was praying and God was giving me the answers and I was telling them. And finally, I said, one day you're going to understand why. And sure enough, maybe like five, six years ago, um, you know, Stefan was experiencing something and I was like, This You were going through the exact same thing that I went through. And so you saw what it took for me to even get through it because the decision wasn't easy. So I think you... Did did
0: he remember that? Did he remember? Mm -hmm. Really?
1: And so, you know, then you hit the nail on the head where it's conversation. It's having an open forum for your children to even come and discuss with you their thoughts and not be afraid to... And us being okay to say, we don't have all the answers. I don't know what to tell you. But what I can do is I can pray for you right now and pray in a simple way. You know, what would you like me to say? Well, I want to know why the sky is blue. Okay, Lord, can you reveal why the sky is blue? And we move on. Yeah. Or And then I'll find a scripture and read the scripture and say, here, you sit with it. Like, I, I'm not even going to try to interpret the scriptures for them. Um, I did the same thing at our school, Christian Montessori school. We taught scripture in the Bible and we just read the stories out of the Bible. And then we just asked wandering questions for the kids and let them come up with their own answers. And we never corrected anybody because I don't mm-hmm. feel like that's my place. The spirit will guide itself and the word. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, conversation. Safety mm-hmm. and conversation um, allows God to do His work.
0: Um, yeah, yeah, no, that's that's uh, that's well said. You mentioned a few times your experience uh, at your school, the Montessori school. Uh, you, you have a kind of a serendipitous entrance into that. Uh, your kids go there. Uh, the person running it says, "Hey, I, I want to ask you, would you think about being a part of this?" Uh, you end up starting a school. One thing leads to another. Um, why has that been such a meaningful part of your life? Why, why do you keep going back to that? What is it that's so uh, valuable about that, that it is, uh, on the tip of your tongue so much?
1: Well, one is because it's, it was the works of my hands. It's what God gave me. I mean, I was going to be, I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. I never had a clue. I would own a school. Um, my passion was teaching. My passion is teaching kids. My passion is nurturing adults in growth, in their own growth. Um, I'm a coach by nature, so I'm a kind of a teacher coach kind of thing. Um, and so I got to do that at the school, but one of the most important things was we started the school as just Montessori school. And so just briefly Montessori is a development, uh, focuses on the total development of a human being, social, emotional, physical, cognitive, and spiritual, well, Montessori, depending on what environment it is uh, implemented, the spiritual takes on whatever is in that environment. So it could mm-hmm. be um, uh, New Age, it could be uh, Hinduism, it could be anything, wherever it is yeah. all over the world. And so starting my school, why it has been so important is once I really started walking with the Father and having an own personal relationship, the Lord... I mean, imprinted in me that the school also had to be about him. Mm-hmm. Every aspect of my life. I mean, he turned every part of my life inside out, upside down in a great way, but said, I'm going to be Lord of everything. So then we started implementing um, biblical principles and leadership in the school. We started teaching um The Bible in school, through storytelling, we would have chapel where we would just dance and sing. And we were teaching the children really how to respect other people's forms of worship. You know, if you're screaming and kicking your neighbor and you're having fun, but you're kicking your neighbor, look at your neighbor. They're sitting here doing like this. And so we would talk to them about that. And so um, it gave me another, I guess, arena to bring God with me and to have an impact on other people's lives for him. So um, I just feel so honored that he would even allow me, allow me that uh, opportunity. So I take it very serious, um, that responsibility and I got to bring my children with me, you Mm -hmm. know, car rides hour and a half every day, uh, in the car with them through, through sixth grade, uh, being in school with them and how many people can actually say that they get that opportunity. So, um, yeah. it's something I'll always just sing, sing about and talk about. And it just brings me joy. It just brings me so much joy.
0: Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, uh, Sonia, thank you so much uh, for the time. Thanks for writing the book. Congratulations on that. And uh, I, hope, uh, I hope release is, uh, is not as terrifying as it feels like right now, but uh, it's a good book and you did great on it. So congratulations.
1: Well, thank you. And please pray for me, pray for my family. Um, and I'll be praying for you all. And uh, do you do online um, services?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Our services are online as well. Yeah.
1: They are? I'm going to check you yeah. out.
0: Okay. Well, if you guys ever make it to Austin, come through and, uh, and we'll get you some good barbecue or Mexican food or something, but, uh, yeah, thanks for the time. And, uh, yeah, great meeting you.
1: Thank you. Nice meeting you too.